Looking for stories that are fresh and new? Dark fantasy, humor, space exploration, time travel, cyberpunk, alternate history, and more. They're in the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future Anthology. From 24 award-winning authors and illustrators, plus art and writing tips and bonus stories. L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future. Buy your copy at galaxypress.com, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Looking for something new in dark fantasy, humor, space exploration, time travel, alternative history? They're in the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future Anthology. Get the 10-volume box set with 159 stories in full-color illustrations plus 34 articles with writings and art tips. Get the UPRN discount, $125 for the entire box set. That's a $60 savings for that beautiful box set. L. Ron Hubbard presents Writers of the Future. Go to uprntalkradio.com, click on the link, and place your order. Hey, good evening, everybody. This is Sean Kelly of Into the Night Wish. Sean Kelly on UPRN Talk Radio 105.3 New Orleans, 107.7 Mississippi. Uh, I have a great show tonight. Um, I'm, I'm really, really interested on hearing his uh, his story. Um, but how was everybody's week? so far. It's, I know it's only Tuesday, but, you know, and I did have the show on Sunday, but I guess hope everyone's doing okay. I know I'm doing okay, you know, and I'm kind of like in a good mood because the guy I have on tonight, all right, uh, Sean Patrick Hazlitt, um, believe it or not, my name is Sean Patrick Hazlitt, Kelly, but his name is Sean Patrick Hazlitt. Now, we have a big debate going on, and maybe you guys want to like chime in, but I spell my name S H A W N, and he spells his name S E A N. Okay, so which is the Irish one? The scene? That's what it looks like to me. Scene? Hey, Kason, good to see you, buddy. And or Sean S H A W N. I don't know. You know, if you want to put your opinions here into the comment section, that would be pretty cool. Uh, tonight's guest. Uh, just in case I forgot, I probably did, but I'll do it again. Um, I want to thank Carnation for sponsoring uh, tonight's show. Uh, so, my friend, and I co-host with him on Friday nights with Joe Montaldo. Hey, Cindy Simpson, good to see you. I co-host with uh, this this gentleman. Um and um, on Friday nights on News on, on the Flip Side with Joe Montaldo. So um, I, I've kind of met him for the last couple weeks, two, three weeks. And he's a good dude, man. You know, he's a real good dude. Uh, so tonight my guest is Sean Patrick Hazlitt. is an Army veteran, writer, editor, and finance executive in the San Francisco Bay Area. He holds an A.B. in history and B.S. in Electrical Engineering from Stanford University. 
and a master in public policy from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, where he won the 2006 Policy Analysis Exercise Award for his work on policy solutions to Iran's nuclear weapons program under the guidance of future Secretary of Defense, Aston B. Carter. He also holds an MBA from the Harvard Business School where he graduated with second year honors as a cavalry officer in the elite 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment, he trained units for war in Iraq and Afghanistan, becoming an expert in Soviet doctrine and tactics. Sean is a 2017 winner of the Writers of the Future contest. Ah, congratulations. Nearly 50 of his short stories have appeared in publications such as The Year's Best Military and Adventure, SF, Year's Best Hardcore Horror, Terraform, Galaxy Edge, oh my god, a lot of things, and Vastarian, among others. He is the editor of the Weird World War III, World, Weird World War IV, and the Weird World War, China Mythologies. He is, is the host of the YouTube channel Through a Glass Darkly where the paranormal meets the military, science fiction, and fact. And he also started and had his first show um, this past Sunday, right after, you know, after my show. And I listened to about an hour of it, and it was freaking good. He's a good dude. And without further ado, my guest, Sean Patrick Hazlitt. Hey, hey, good evening. How you doing, Patrick. Sean? All right, Sean. So everybody out there, real quick, who spells it right, S-E-A-N or S-H-A-W-N? We'll go from there. That's a good debate. That's a good debate. There. How you been, bro? What are they? I'm doing pretty well. How you been doing? Well, kind of excited, you know, kind of busy at work. Uh, being a meat cutter that I am, we're just busy cutting meat, getting bloody, all that good stuff, you know. Dealing with customers, and it's okay. So oh, that's fun. You should have some good stories about that, my friend. Oh boy, do I have some good stories, dude. <laughs> that's for another show. That's for another show. But uh yeah, so tell us a little about yourself, bud. Well, I'm uh, originally from the East Coast. I was originally from uh, Wilmington, Delaware. And I got into this this school on the West Coast and I went to visit it and kind of fell in love with it. But, you mm -hmm. know, middle-class son of two teachers there's no way i could afford it so you know i wanted to serve my country but i also wanted to afford college so did an rtc scholarship and you know the rest is history i spent about five years in the u.s army as you said i was training in the mojave desert and we were effectively what they would call the red team so i became an expert on Soviet doctrine and tactics, which coincidentally came into uh, good stead when the Russians invaded Ukraine. I kind of knew exactly what they were going to do. Called it on my channel, actually, too. Everybody really? was saying, oh, they're not going to invade. It's not going to happen. You just look at a map. And they're like, yeah, they're going to invade. Like, <laughs> You don't move yeah. 150,000 troops into motion and just say, psych. Right? Yeah, so <laughs> I spent time doing that. And then after that, uh, you know, I went, to graduate school, went into business for a while. Now I kind of do some independent uh, financial consulting, things like that, as well as running a YouTube channel on 
the paranormal and geopolitics and where the two kind of intersect. And man, I couldn't have picked a better time to start it because you know, right now half the government's trying to disclose, the other half's trying to furiously hide and deny, obfuscate and counter accuse. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with it? Deal with uh, which part of it? Uh, all of it, the government and all of it. How do you deal with it? Oh, well, I mean, you just have to look at what their motivations typically are, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's, let's take the latest UAP bill. So in the National Defense and Authorization Act of 2023, there's a section in there called the UAP Disclosure Act. And, you know, there was a ton of stuff like eminent domain, things like that, where the government would come back and take back some of the exotic materials that various aerospace, various aerospace companies had acquired since, you know, maybe as far back as 1947 or beyond. And, you know, just let the American people know that, you know, in an official capacity that we're not alone. And, you know, you had the Grush testimony back in July where he claimed that we had uh, non-human intelligence or materials made by non-human intelligences, um, biologics, what he called it. Um, so either dead or alive, I don't think he would answer that question. So there's a lot of that coming out. And then you have another arm of the government who are saying that, oh, it's all weather balloons and, and Chinese drones. Well, if we're spending almost a trillion dollars on defense, and those things are Chinese drones, the entire government needs to be fired. Yeah. Right? They're not Chinese drones. Like just like, it's the most, it's the most, it's the dumbest explanation I've ever heard because not only does it say that the entire government is incompetent, but that we better start learning to speak Mandarin because these things exhibit characteristics that, you know, nothing in anybody's current arsenal, except for maybe the United States. Like I could see that, some of this stuff being covert technology that we possess, but I would say it's not all of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, it, it just—I don't know. I, why would they come back and go from UFO to UAP? I mean, is that part of the government? Like, what actually make made us? They start saying they were UAPs. So I think. One hand of government may be to destigmatize the term UFO because it's been such a stigma for so long. They would use it to shun people who had credible reports or credible people who reported sightings, encounters, and who could verify that these things really exist. Uh, it could also it could also be just to broaden the category, right? So you could hide some of this stuff into by grouping it with other things. So you saw the Chinese spy balloons. They started yeah. uh, roping that stuff into unidentified anomalous, um, you know, uh, not objects, but uh, phenomena, right? Which, again, it just helps obscure and hide stuff that mm-hmm. we're seeing in the sky. So there's just, there's a lot going on that um, I, I just think it's time to come clean. I think while... I mean, people already have a have an enormous distrust in government, and I think it's only getting right. worse. And I think the longer they wait, 
to just admit like, look, it was the cold war. We had just survived, just survived a near genocidal war of the human species. And people were, you know, tired of fighting. The last thing you want to let people know is, Hey, there are, you know, beings from somewhere else with technology much more advanced than ours that have crashed on our planet. Uh, and we don't even know if they're from here or beyond, right? That's the other, that's the other piece. We have bodies, we have these crafts. We may have been able to reverse engineer components of it, but we haven't reverse engineered all of it. And, you know, there's a, probably a much broader rabbit hole that I, I think there are credible people in government that don't want to freak people out because it's probably a pretty complex story. It's probably not just, you know, when you say non-human intelligences, that could be a very broad spectrum of things, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could probably put, um, you know, dead humans in that, or uh, maybe not dead humans, but you could put maybe demonic activity in that category. You could put angelic activity in that category or, or things that people in antiquity called demons and angels. You could put, people beings from another uh you know outside our solar system there you could be beings from adjacent or parallel dimensions there i mean again i'm 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 widely speculating on what i'm saying but there's they're they're labeling this stuff non-human intelligences for a reason right well, and that's and that's just to cover their butts huh seriously yeah cuz they probably don't know they probably don't know cuz if you say like well how do you know where they come from these things are coming out of the ocean. So how do you know that they don't live in the ocean? How do you know that that's not a base? How do you know it's, you know, who knows, right? Exactly. I believe. Um, what is your thought on uh, Bigfoot? Um, so I haven't spent a lot of time investigating it, but I could, I mean, I could come up with a number of different theories off the cuff if you want. Um, yeah, please. Um, and the reason why I asked that question, because I want to get um, it close to where I am, where I think UFOs are involved with the Bigfoot. So, yeah, I'd like to hear your opinions. Or, or yeah, and, and I'll start from kind of the most um, kind of real, not realistic, because realistic implies that's the right theory. But I'll start with the most grounded theory and then I'll work my way to increasingly speculative. Mm -hmm. So it could just be some lost tribe of humanity, right? Or homo sapien type being that is just much better at hiding in the wilderness and, you know, might be much larger, et cetera. And, you know, they're kind of out there. It's just kind of the classic, uh, cryptid or cryptozoological kind of explanation. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, based on different sightings and things like that, I don't really, I, I think that's, ac that one's actually less likely. Then there's, okay. there's a possibility that it's some sort of um, something from another dimension that kind of passes in and out of ours, right? And that, depending on what your version of reality dictates. So if you look at the quantum mechanical universe, you know, 99.9% .9 of us is empty space. And what you see in front of you, your chair, your table, this computer, they all are just vibrating electrons at different frequencies, right? So if you imagine a universe like that, you could have co-incident entities or beings 
that are just vibrating at slightly different frequencies or slightly out of phase, you know, if everything's a wave, right, that sometimes mm -hmm. they wink in and out of our universe. And that's, that's kind of what we see, right? So it could be that sort of thing, right? Where it's just right. a, a physical being, but in a, just a different, you know, slightly off frequency or slightly out of phase with our reality. Third thing it could be is it's just from another dimension. It comes in and out, you know, like a parallel universe comes in and out at will. A fourth thing it could be is just, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, akin to a ghost or kind of a memory echo of something else that's, you know, been, been there long before us. Right. Uh, you know, fifth thing could be, um, you know, cause, cause they have like these Bigfoot entities have been seen, um, are often accompanied with UFO sightings, UAP sightings, whatever you want to call them. So it could be, you know, something from the same place they are. Right. right. So who knows? Last yeah, theory. Oh, good. La good. Last theory could be uh, just the, you know, if you believe in simulation theory, right. That we're all living in the simulation and these things are just um, something that, is just coughed up by the simulation to make everybody's lives interesting. Now, I yeah. don't, I, I don't have any strong opinion on any of these things because I haven't really delved into it. And I'm sure I didn't mention half a dozen other theories that are, that are out there, but mm -hmm. you know, it, it or it could be, you know, historical humans that are, that were brought back from the past by future humans, right? It could be some sort of temporal hypothesis. Anyway, I think right. that's like six or seven that I threw out there. So I'm glad they were pretty interesting um, hypotheses. No, the reason being is because um, I believe that the Bigfoot and the UF, the aliens, UFOs, kind of like are working together. Um, mm -hmm. Because whenever I would do some research or reading on a Bigfoot sighting, okay. Uh, the very first thing that I do is I go to where it was sighted and I check the UFO activity in the area. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, majority of the time when one is spotted, there's a lot of UFOs that are. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. Kind of like in, in the area, you know, so I just wanted to get your thought on that. I do believe in that there are a ton of portals out there. Um, have you ever heard of the CERN? You mean the, uh, the 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 super collider that's in Switzerland, CERN? Yes. Yeah, yes. of course. 
what's your theory on that? Uh, I mean, there's a, I don't know too much about it, but they could be trying to open a portal or a window into different reality, things like that. But I don't, I don't know. I think they're just trying to find, uh, you know, the, the smallest irreducible subatomic particles like the Higgs boson and things like that. But I, again, I haven't delved too deeply into what's going on there. Okay. All right. No, I, I, I remember when they were going off on, um, you know, it was in the news all the time and we did a couple shows, me and Jenny Nicasio, I did a couple shows on chasing prophecy on the CERN. So it's kind of like, kind of, kind of spooky man that they can open up little wormholes and portals out there god only knows what's out there in the galaxies if you know what i mean you know well i mean who knows what we were doing when we detonated nuclear weapons right like right. we may have been ripping you know ripping tears into the fabric of space-time for all we know right because that's when a lot of these ufos started showing up at least you know on moss right in large numbers right. so did we open a portal into another universe and they slipped out of that at the same time too you had jim parsons out in the desert opening you know doing rituals and opening up portals and you know things like that so mm -hmm. again during the same period of time so is it a cult is it you know extra solar is it uh you know from another who knows right and right. i think that would help that would help if you know, the kind of the government came out and, and gave people some some sort of an idea of what this stuff is. Otherwise, people are going to speculate and, you know, may end up going along this catastrophic disclosure uh, right. path where they start doing things that start bringing things in that, you know, could be damaging just because they don't trust government mm -hmm. to come out and provide them with a with the truest explanation of the reality that they're facing ah I totally I, that, that's pretty interesting thank god for being on my show dude i'm telling you everybody listen he's the best he's one of the best that i have and he's really nice he's so down to earth um in about five minutes so we're going to pop into our break but um i'd like uh, first of all thank you for your service um, when you were in the army, I do believe you talked about being in tanks. Is that true? That's right. Yeah. So I was an armor officer. Okay. Uh, well, it's actually, it's a mixed thing because I was assessed as a military intelligence officer, but they branch detailed me, which means they loaned me to a, a combat, a combat arms branch for four years. And then, you know, after I was done, I was supposed to go back not back because I'd never spent a day in military intelligence. I was supposed to go into military intelligence because they don't have a huge need for lieutenants, but have, uh, you know, an exhaustible need for captains and majors. So I did my right. services uh, as, you know, in the army, I uh, commanded a tank platoon. I also, when I, we were doing exercises in the Mojave desert, I commanded a motorized rifle company, which is kind of a mm -hmm. Russian, hybrid equivalent between, you know, it's kind of the size, about two thirds the size of a American tank company. And we ran these war games, 10 war games a year, and we would fight other US units. And it wasn't like, you know, we would roll over, we would decisively defeat them. I think I was probably involved. I hope with lasers, dude. I hope. Use lasers, yeah. right? 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we could track everything, right? And and people could right. see the icons on the map going black and why they went black and things like mm -hmm. that. But it was um a really great experience because it taught you how to fight. Like it really taught you what works and what doesn't. And one right. of the things that I found works really well is that you have three different plans, very high level, three different courses of action. If they do this, we do this. If they do that, we do that. And they would mm -hmm. come in with these 20, 30, 40 page op orders. And once you do something that they didn't plan for, victory is yours. <laughs> That's cool. Okay, listen, it is that time to go into uh, the commercials. Um, when we come back, Sean, I'd like to talk about your YouTube channel and um, what started you on it. And this other thing, um, what was it, the World Weird, Weird World War Four and Three? Can you? And I'd like you to explain that too, if you can. Is that okay? Yeah, right, absolutely. We'll see you in an hour and about <laughs> an hour. one minute and. <laughs> A half. Looking for stories that are fresh and new? Dark fantasy, humor, space exploration, time travel, cyberpunk, alternate history, and more. They're in the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future Anthology from 24 award-winning authors and illustrators, plus art and writing tips and bonus stories. L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future. Buy your copy at galaxypress.com, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Looking for something new in dark fantasy, humor, space exploration, time travel, alternative history? They're in the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future Anthology. Get the 10-volume box set with 159 stories in full-color illustrations plus 34 articles with writings and art tips. Get the UPRN discount, $125 for the entire box set. That's a $60 savings for that beautiful box set. L. Ron Hubbard presents Writers of the Future. Go to uprntalkradio.com, click on the link, and place your... Welcome back to Into the Night with Sean Kelly. Uh, again, we are on UPR and Talk Radio 105.3 New Orleans, 107.7 Mississippi. And um, I want again, I know I said it at the beginning, but I'll say it again. Um, also, want to thank Carnations for sponsoring my show tonight. Um, so, my, tonight's guest is uh, my friend, Sean Patrick Hazlitt. And um, we talked about ufos uaps all kinds of stuff bigfoot you know military you know and the first half but whoever hi joe good to see you and um so the second half of the show he has a youtube channel oh by the way thank you for your service sean thank you yeah thank you sean thank you um so your youtube channel it's through a glass darkly Where'd you come up with the name and what is your YouTube all about? 
So I kind of just like the name. I think it's from a biblical passage from Corinthians, but I didn't know knew that at the time. I just liked the phrase, but it turns out to work because we're looking at the world through a glass darkly. We're not really, it's like the platonic cave, right? We're just seeing shadows of something else on a cave. And that's kind of what our, or the nature of our reality is. The same thing with through a glass darkly. We're not seeing reality as it is. We're seeing reality as we're evolved to see, which is a very narrow range of visual and audio stimuli, you know, in terms of, you know, you hear between, uh, you know, one, I think it's like uh, two, two, two kilohertz to 20 uh, kilohertz, something like that. And anything like above, above and below that you don't hear. So that's kind of how I came up with it. And what it focuses on is the intersection between the paranormal and military science fiction, in fact. And the reason I started that way is because, as you alluded to earlier, I have these three anthologies, Weird World War Three, Weird World War Four, and we, we, Weird World War China, right? <laughs> and, uh, and what those are are military science fiction books that have some supernatural or science fictional element. So Weird World War Three came out in 2020, and it was, what if the United States had gotten into a war with Russia, which unfortunately turned out to be somewhat precognitive. Weird World War Four was actually my publisher's idea, so nothing precognitive there, but it was what's going to happen in the war after the next war. And then Weird World War China is, you know, what if we were to get into a war with China and there are, when they're in these stories, there are paranormal elements. So mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting is, I don't know if folks are familiar with David Drake. I probably have his last short story before he died. So, mm -hmm. and that's in Weird World War China. All these books you could find on Amazon or wherever else books are sold and highly encourage people to check them out. But going back to the show, I originally started to sh the show to help promote those books. But as I was starting to, to do it, I started interviewing people who had real world uh, or, inter you know, interfaced in the real world with a lot of this phenomena. So I started through the remote viewing route. And, you know, I didn't talk to people who just claimed to be remote viewers. I talked to people who served in the military, in the DOD, as part of their of Project Stargate. So I started with Dr. David Morehouse, who was, you know, he's an Army Ranger. And instead of going into recruiting command, he ended up working for, uh, you know, various uh, military intelligence uh, units. So... Today, I think it's called Task Force Orange. Back then, it wasn't. Uh, back then, I think it was identified as Royal Cape. It was the um, intelligence. It's called also known as the Intelligence Support Activity. But he did a little work with that. And he ended up uh, moving into DOD in one of these special access programs, which is remote viewing. And for folks who don't know what remote viewing is, it is the ability to see anywhere in space and time uh, without physically you know, kind of in your mind's eye without physically going. It sounds like it's like a psychic thing, but it's it's really any human being possesses some native ability to do it. But, you know, when, when this program was 
identified or, or disclosed um, in well, it was basically a leak. But in 1995, the CIA kind of did a year-long examination of it and claimed that, oh, yeah, it didn't really work. We only you know, spent tens of millions of dollars um, over 20 years and, you know, nothing to see here move on. Mm -hmm. So how did he ever, or did you ever read on, how do they train people to remote viewing? How, what is just like, it? So just like anything else, right? You just through repetition over and over again. But the way it, it works is you are given coordinates, right? And the coordinates don't have to correspond. They only have to correspond to a target. They initially were geospatial coordinates. But once you start doing that, you'll kind of screw up the remote viewing ability. Because the problem with remote viewing is there is a potential for analytical overlay, right? So mm -hmm. if you start seeing something that looks like a bridge and you say bridge, you've kind of screwed up. Right. That's like a right. cardinal sin in remote viewing. You're just supposed to describe what you see. You're not supposed to try to analyze it while you're doing it. And so the reason they just give you a set of numbers and the numbers don't have to, it could be complete random, completely randomly generated as long as they are just linked to a certain target. But that's literally all the remote viewer gets. They just get a set of numbers and then they're asked, what do you see? Right. So to give you an example, if you know you wanted you wanted somebody to remote view your house, you would just give them a set of numbers and you would say what they see, and they would start describing. I see you know a rectangle. It looks like there's a there's grass in front of it, and you know I see walls that are this, and they'll start describing your house. But you can't say remote view my house because then they have all these concepts of house, and then their imagination okay, starts okay. to work on it. Right. So it's okay. like a double blind. It, like it has not always double blind. It's either single blind or double blind in order for it to work. Otherwise, people start, you know, if they know they're looking for a submarine, they're going to start describing a submarine. But if they don't know that they're, you know, what they're looking for, if they start describing a submarine, that's how you know they're probably on target. Okay. So, and the reason behind, and they did cancel this or is it still going on? They officially canceled it. I would be surprised right. if it's not still going on. I can guarantee it that it's probably still going on. I guess yeah. they had to tell the world that, yes, we don't do it no more to make a lot of people happy, especially, you know, in the military. Yeah, for two reasons, right? You're going to have bureaucrats who, you know, are worried about the shame factor, right? But then mm -hmm. also the last thing that the CIA wants people in the world to know that a Midwestern housewife can stop in and listen in on any meeting in history at the CIA in Langley, Langley Virginia, right? They don't want people right. knowing that, especially if you're in the business of keeping secrets, it would be foolish from their perspective. And, you know, that's their job. Their job is to, is to acquire and keep secrets. So it's understandable that they don't want every Yahoo on the planet realizing that they each, you know, each person has this nascent ability. Right. Um, so uh, to me, it's very, very interesting. Um, I don't uh, trust uh, the alphabet things that are, you know, CIA, FBI, none of that crap. Um, I know that we did a show one time on Jason Prophecy it was about, and I know it's a little off topic here, but I have to laugh. 
um, we were talking about how the King of England and, and the Queen of England, the Queen of England, they, that family was all reptilians, right? And mm -hmm. um, I swear to God, we really got into a deep, deep conversation with somebody on it. And I swear to God, dude, I thought the SAS was going to come knocking at my door the next day. Seriously. Why? What happened? <laughs> oh, no, they were, were just, you know, how everything seemed to be. We were really seriously talking into um, about the, the, the um, what did I just say? Reptilian. Or the... the reptilians, yeah. Uh, for nobody doesn't know who the reptilians is part, uh, it's one of the alien um, UFO aliens. And um, I really thought, I just got nervous, dude, because I thought the SAS will be knocking on my door the next day. But I had to throw that little story in, you know, to get a chuckle out of them. Yeah, but they, I mean, they wouldn't. I mean, <laughs> if you speculate about that stuff, the last thing a government agency would do is is knock down somebody's door about something like that because then that would confirm, you know, any anything, any theory is true, right? right? So, mm -hmm. and, and that one's kind of, it is so speculative that, you know, who knows? Could they be? Right. Sure, but. But how would we, you know, how would we know? Right. True. True. I don't know. I just had to bring it into, in, into it. Now, also in your bio, it says, uh, right, you, you're a winner of the Writers of the Future contest. Um, our boss, Joe Monteldo, is one of the judges, I do believe. Um, and so Joe... What did Joe ask? I mean, how did you, what story was it that you went on? So I wrote a story called A Dramalek, which is a story about a Semitic demon. And there was, a, you know, somebody who was kind of semi possessed by this thing, started writing things in, you know, ancient Sumerian cuneiform. And, and I don't want to give too much of it away, but, you know, there's kind of a showdown at the end between this guy and the and the demon, and and he does something that uh, is a little bit of a surprise. But mm -hmm. you know, he kind of does the right thing. But it's dark. I, I've been told that 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 was one of the darkest one of the darkest stories I think they've ever run. And so, how can we get a hold of that book? Oh, so it's 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 in volume 33 of uh, Writers of the Future. Uh, you can find it anywhere where books are sold. I think you can go to, um, you know, amazon.com, uh, maybe Barnes and Noble, but uh, I don't think they're carrying as many books anymore on the, on, on like science fiction and fantasy. It's kind of, so I just go to Amazon. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'm going to have to get more info off you about some, that book out. Cause I wouldn't mind reading it. Now it also says here in your bio that you, there's nearly 50 of short stories have appeared in publications. Now, when you mean short story, um, we'll go by writers of the future. So that to be like a couple hundred words or a thousand words, what? Uh, usually, I would say like flash fictions up to a thousand words. Short stories are between a thousand and 7,500 words. 7,500 to 15,000 words would be something they call a novelette. 
And then 15,000 words to maybe 40,000 words would be a novella. And that's kind of the range. Okay, I have a question for you from Kaysen. He says, mm -hmm. by the way, what's your take on Bob Lazar? I, I'm not I'm not too sure about that guy, right? So I I think elements of his story are probably true. I'm not sure if he is legit, but there's somebody who want, wanted some of that information to get out and used him as a conduit. It could have been, uh, what is it, John Lear uh, was the guy who was working with him. Um, and then there is uh, the other thing about Bob Lazar is he could also be legit and he could have also been chosen deliberately because he has pretty, he had a pretty shady lifestyle. So he like owned a brothel and all that stuff. So it's easy to kind of dismiss him because mm -hmm. he had kind of a sketchy background. So I'm, I'm on the fence still with Bob Lazar. Thank you, French. I hope that answered your question, Case. Anybody out there, like we got like about 15 minutes left, um, or 10 to 15 minutes left. And if anybody has a question for uh, Sean, please feel free to put it into the, the com uh, comment box. Um, so where do you come up with your ideas for your stories? They just you just kind of come to you. I don't know. You just, you have an idea and then you start to develop it. Uh, usually if you kind of write it in longhand, you can, for some reason that better stimulates some of the creativity versus just staring at a screen and typing words down. But yeah, there's really, it's just kind of, it just comes to you. There's no, you know, thought you just have, you know, in order to be a writer, you have to write. And mm -hmm. if you write enough, you'll come up with good ideas. Right. So what was your favorite book besides the one that won you? Do you have another favorite book that, that you um, kind of like? Uh, Did you ever write, write nonfiction? Um, I, I mean, I have. But, I mean, a lot of it's just been like business school cases and stuff like that. Nothing that's super super interesting um mm -hmm. yeah so not I, I mean i might i might be interested in writing it given the background you know given what i've learned from my podcast because there's a lot of interesting things about the nature of reality that i've explored with various folks from remote viewing to you know the death of mars <laughs> things like that so uh that's something i might explore in the future but again writing fiction is both easier and harder at the same time right mm -hmm. it's harder to make something up and it's harder to make it engaging and interesting whereas nonfiction, you just write an outline and crank it out right okay okay so so basically you write nonfiction, but somehow can you put the fiction into the nonfiction to create a story or you put the nonfiction into the fiction is, okay. is, is easier to, I, I definitely did. That. So I just wrote a novel last year or finished a novel last year and sent it to my publisher. I, you know, I, I haven't gotten any word on whether or not they're going to buy it, but I, two years ago I started writing about what would a crash retrieval program look like in the United States government. And what if they would, what if there was a, 
a craft that crashed in Russia in the Russian Far East, would we send people in? And then what if the Chinese also sent people in? And what if it became a potential flashpoint between the three or among the three countries? Mm-hmm. So that resulted in a book called Wormwood Down. You know, it's not available, uh, you know, and I won't know if it'll ever be available. It depends on whether or not my publisher decides to buy it. But if my publisher does buy it, that's that book will be out there. Cool. Um, I, I I do better when I listen to it on the CD. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I I still have ADHD, and I'm being honest with you, because I'll read the first ten pages, jump to the middle, and then finish off at the end. You know, or I'll do what my mother does. I'll read the ending, and then I'll read the story, see how the ending goes. But uh. The last thing I want to chat about um, is that through the glass darkly, where the paranormal meets military. Can you kind of shed a little bit light on that? Yeah, so remote viewing is exhibit A, right? So we had, you know, the United States government had an actual program where they used remote viewers to see in distant space and time, various targets from Soviet nuclear weapons and things like that. The other place where it's particularly relevant is with crash retrieval programs that we just talked about, right? If our, if our government does have crash retrieval programs and, you know, you're talking about the military and you're talking about the, you know, if you group UFOs into the paranormal and I do, because I think it's all a spectrum part of the same sort of thing. Right. It's just an aspect of reality that we don't quite understand yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, part of that is related to consciousness. And then part of that, what's what's stopping us as people are so skeptical because of the programs that the government put into place to, you know, keep the governments, you know, one of the governments, if not the government's most kept you know well kept and it's not really well kept but closely guarded secret which is that we are not alone and you know we've interfaced in some way either by capturing entities or by Mm -hmm. retrieving their equipment and things like that but there are plenty of areas where that's right we talked about cern right that could have a military science fictional aspect to it right what if something came out of that what how would you deal with it Right. You'd have to send you have to send some commandos there to take care of business. So there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, and it just but I like what you just said about sending commandos because something because we're still finding stuff here on earth in the grounds, in the waters. You know, um, I do believe that whenever CERN went off, that there was a bunch of other creatures out there that nobody knew that existed you know mm-hmm. don't you think that they are taken um is it all about the power of the money or is it actually to go out and find something because man you are messing with mother earth and you just don't want to do that man and, and well, it just, I, I, I think there's like, stuff out there that they still can't explain mm-hmm. and the last thing they want to do is tell people that they're not when you're going to sleep at night in your warm cozy bed there are things out in the darkness that can come and take you away and there's nothing 
absolutely nothing your government can do to stop them. Right. I don't think that's a message that they want to share with the American people. And for good reason, right? I can understand their motivation. I would prefer to know these things right. so that I, I could avoid putting myself into situations where that could happen. Right. So mm -hmm. if you look at uh, David Polite's research with, yeah. you know, stay out of granite fields in national parks, yes. right? Because people yes. tend to disappear yes. there. But so, you know, it's, it's, I can understand where some people in government would think it's responsible to keep people ignorant of these things. But I also think, you know, it's, it's been quite some time. I think it's time to open the kimono. And, and frankly, at this point, I've lost a lot of faith in the human race, particularly the way that people at the top run the world. And I think it might give people comfort that there's something out there that's a lot smarter than us that, you know, there might be stuff that's malevolent, but there also might be stuff that's beneficent. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that would make, give people some comfort because, you know, like right now when I watch, look at the world, I just, it's like a three ring circus at a clown show. Yes, I agree with you, brother, 100%. Um, what do you think of uh, David Politis' Missing 411? We did a couple shows on that, and I find, it, I find it interesting. I really, really do. I think there are aspects of it that are helpful. I also think there are aspects of it that uh, he leaps to conclusions a little, a little quickly. I'll give, you, I'll give you a very discreet example. So I think there was a movie that he released and he talks about one of the characteristics is people of German descent are, you know, tend to be taken more often. And there are many people of German descent who've been taken, but the three examples that he gave, one was a Swedish surname, another was a British surname or an English surname, and then the third was a German surname. So you know, it might be a Northern European thing, who knows, but it's, but there are certain things that he hammers home that are not necessarily, co co you know, coincident with the evidence. And another one of the disappeared, you know, bodies that had disappeared in that movie, right? Six weeks before the movie aired, they found the body, but you oh, didn't really? hear anything. Yeah. You didn't hear anything about, mm. Hey, they found it, you know, it's just kind of, um, you know, silent. So there's, um, I would say that there's there's not there's a la there's a there's a lack of scientific rigor, but there is good work on identifying the correlations, right? So, or identifying the patterns. So I would give it high marks on pattern definition, uh, mm -hmm. or pattern recognition, but I would give it low marks on kind of you know once those patterns are established, there is zero curiosity in looking at places where the patterns don't apply if that makes okay. sense it makes so it's, a lot it's, of both, sense. it's both a compliment and a criticism which is which is good um one last question then we're gonna have to go um whenever you were in the military and you were training or um did you ever, did you see things that weren't there? I mean, that you couldn't explain. And I, let me give you a, a, a true incident. My friend, her son's in the Marines. And he's down at Camp Lejeune. Mm -hmm. And they went out and, and did their recon or whatever and how it was. They actually heard ghosts. They actually seen ghosts in some kind of a young girl 
really screaming and they they sent uh, his command his troops to find this girl screaming have you ever dealt or found or something like that or it was totally paranormal yeah i would say nothing so look i was in the mojave desert i was you know there are many nights when i was driving around around alone in the desert in a open top humvee with just not even you know somebody not even a buddy right which is extremely dangerous why they allowed us to do that i still to this day don't know generally you always send two people on anything but i would be alone uh with night vision goggles so just the green and you know middle of the desert at you know one to three a.m just driving along these these ridgebacks and things like that i wasn't looking so i never saw anything uh, or I never noticed anything. That doesn't mean there wasn't stuff. Um, during the day, I, I would say the strangest thing I saw, but I think it was one of ours, was uh, that string of pearls, uh, like jet stream propulsion sort of thing, yeah. right? Which is, I think, consistent with like ramjet or scramjet propulsion. So I may have seen the aftermath of like a project Aurora aircraft, but we were just South of the, um, of China Lake Naval weapons station where they would test a bunch of that stuff. So oh. I saw that I would, I, I would say, I mean, the craziest thing I saw was um, clearly when I was hallucinating because I, I went through, it was in Kentucky and I went, I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead serious. I, I believe there was a, like a scout thing called the scout platoon leaders course. And then the last, in the last week you get no more than two hours of sleep a night. So by day five, right. You know, it's been five days. I've had 10, hours, you know, max, max eight hours of sleep. And, um, you know, you're just, you're, you're using every ounce of energy to try to stay awake. And I was sitting in a Humvee seat and I looked to my left and there was lucky the leprechaun from lucky charms just okay. talking to me and i'm like yeah that's not real this is not real i'm hallucinating of course immediately the drill sergeant like blew a whistle at me to wake me up because i was dreaming in real time right oh, wow. so crazy yeah that, that's, that's the strange thing but it's not you know there's a one percent chance whatever that was was real but there's a 99.9 <laughs> chance i was hallucinating because you hallucinate Hey, thank you for coming on tonight. Um, everybody, Sean, his uh, I'll let you tell about your 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 podcast or you're on your radio and all that. Sean, can you please tell where people can find you? Yeah, so you can find me here on the station at through 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 a glass darkly radio with Sean Patrick Hazlett. I am live on Sunday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific time, 9 to 11, 11. p.m. Uh, Eastern, and uh, what is that, uh, 8 to 10 p.m. Central. You can find me there, and you can also find me on my YouTube channel, Through a Glass Darkly with Sean, where I have tons of interviews. I'm also on Spotify, where most of my interviews are, so definitely like subscribe and share any of the videos that uh you know you might enjoy again sean thank you um and also don't forget he's my 
He's one of the co-hosts with me, with Joe Monteldo on Friday nights. 10 to, for me, it's 10 to midnight. But we're on, it's called News on the Flip Side on the same channel. Good night, Kason. Good to see you. Um, so, children, please, if you can, go to your parents. Give them a hug and tell them that you love them. And parents, please go to your children and give them a hug and tell them you love them. Right? And if you have no parents, if you have no children, try to find somebody that you know and, and just give them a hug and tell them that you love them. Because those three words, I love you, go a long way. And on that note, uh, good night, everybody, and see you Sunday, and happy hunting.